The following resources from Two Journeys. Two Journeys exists to help Christians make progress in the two journeys of the Christian life, the internal journey of sanctification and the external journey of gospel advancement. We do this by exporting biblical teaching for the good of Christ's church and for the glory of God. Please visit twojourneys.org for more resources. Get some free music, but... <laughs> so, uh, thank you for coming to Discovering Christ. This is our third week, and we're excited to continue with this uh, study in uh, just the life of, of Jesus Christ. If you take the blue handout that's there at the door, if you didn't get one, and turn to page 10, so we'll jump in there. We have a very significant study today. We're going to understand, try to understand the death of Jesus Christ and how, that, how important that is for Christianity. It's very, very important that we understand uh, Jesus' death, its reason for it, and all that. And so um, just by way of uh, review, so the object, uh, page 10, object of the study is to build on the previous two weeks and to show that Jesus' authority to forgive sins that we talked about last week uh, was based on his mission to die on the cross for our sins. The two are connected. His uh, authority to forgive sins was really a statement of his willingness to pay the debt for sin, to pay the price for our sins, and we'll talk about that today. His death was possible because he was fully human, um, and it was infinitely valuable because he was the Son of God. So Jesus being both human <clears throat> and God, divine, is essential to understanding both aspects of that. So last week, <clears throat> I'm sorry, Last week, we asked people to read um, Mark 7 through 11. I don't know if you had a chance to do that or if anybody has any questions about those chapters. I know you could have, like, limitless questions, but I, I wanted to give anybody an opportunity to ask any questions. <coughs> Sorry. Questions um, uh, concerning that material or any other questions concerning the Christian faith, uh, things that are on your mind right now. Um, if there are any questions that you don't want to talk about in front of everyone at this point, you can write them down and we could talk about them another time. Now let's, uh, let's review the first and second weeks, first and second studies. Uh, the first week, <clears throat> we saw that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, again, by way of review, we don't know anything about Jesus apart from the Bible. Um, we don't have any source of information about Jesus Christ apart from the Bible. Um, there, there aren't any, you know, reliable historical accounts of his life other than the Bible. Everything comes from the Bible. And the Bible has given us a lot of information about Jesus, but especially, most especially, in four little biographies, or what we call mini-biographies of Jesus, um, the four Gospels at the beginning of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, the, we're studying Mark, one of the four. It's the shortest of the four and uh, the simplest. Uh, many scholars believe it was written for a non-Jewish audience, what we call a Gentile audience. So it just makes very simple statements. Um, and it's just the kind of thing you could read, I would think, in about 90 minutes. It wouldn't take that long to get through it. Uh, but even with that, our four weeks, we don't have a lot of time to go e even into detail in Mark 16 chapters. We're just looking at certain aspects. Um, so this is just meant to be an introduction, a simple introduction. First week, we looked at um, uh, how the Gospel of Mark presents the person of Christ, who he was. 
And it starts right at the beginning in Mark 1.1 with the statement, the beginning of the gospel, that means good news about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So Jesus' identity as Son of God is established uh, right away. And we saw his, um, <clears throat> his uh, authority, uh, specifically his authority, um, in his teaching ministry. He taught um, in a very clear, authoritative way. Welcome. Good to see you. So we're going through um, a class called Discovering Christ, and uh, the handouts are, are really helpful, essential. We're on page 10, and we're talking about the Gospel of Mark, and we're doing a little bit of review. This is the third week of this class. Um, so in week one, we talked about the person of Jesus Christ and how the Gospel of Mark presents him as the Son of God, the Son of God. And that means that he has authority. Authority. He has a power, the right to con command. Uh, so he taught um, in an authoritative way. He taught uh, in a very clear, authoritative way. Sorry. Uh, he also had authority over demons. The Bible reveals that there are demons. They are invisible spiritual beings. Uh, you can't see them, but they are powerful, and they have influenced people back then, and they're still active today. Uh, in our scientific world, we don't really think a lot about them, maybe even deny that they exist. But the Bible says that they exist, and Jesus had complete power over them. So a demon, per a demon could take over a person and dominate that person um, like they were a crazy person, and Jesus would be able to speak to the spiritual being, the demon, and drive him out, and the man was, would be instantly healed, uh, effortlessly healed. That shows tremendous power. And the people then were amazed that Jesus could do this kind of thing. He also had authority to heal every disease and sickness. Any, anyone who was sick with any disease, he was not a, a specialist, uh, he could do anything. Um, so there was no disease he could not cure. And Jesus' uh, healings were um, uh, immediate, completely effective. He never failed to heal somebody. Um, you know, actual physical healings, and he could heal anybody as a result Huge crowds came. You could imagine there were a lot of sick people in the area, and they, would, they heard about Jesus, and they came. And Jesus healed them all. He preferred to heal people one at a time. He preferred to people, uh, heal people frequently by touching. Didn't have to touch them, but he, he, he liked to do that. He liked to look people in the eye and talk to them. And so his uh, authority. We also saw in the first week his authority over the weather. Jesus had the ability to speak uh, to the winds and the waves, and they obeyed him. So uh, that's the first week, the person of Jesus. Now last week, we covered Jesus. Welcome, good to see you guys. You, you'll want one of those blue sheets. Um, that's what we're going through we're on page 10. Uh, last week, uh, we talked about Jesus' authority to forgive sins. And we saw, we defined sin as a heart issue. Sin comes from inside. It's not just uh, an outside behavioral thing, uh, behavior, but it's from the heart. Our hearts are impure, uh, unclean, and from a, a dirty or unclean heart comes bad actions. We do bad things with our bodies because we have bad thoughts and, and bad intentions in our hearts. So that's what the Bible says. Also, we saw that sin is breaking God's commandments. God has given us laws. He's given us commandments because he's a king and he can tell us what to do. And we do not obey his commands. The most important commandments, the two commandments, which are to love God, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. These are the two basic commandments. 
we do not obey them. We break these commandments. Um, so that's sin. We also saw last week that Jesus has the authority to forgive sins. He has the authority to forgive sins. And that's very powerful. Um, we certainly can forgive people who sin against us. If someone's mean to us or does something, we can say, I forgive you. But we can't forgive someone we've never met of all of their sins. We don't have that power, but Jesus does. And he had the power to forgive a man of his sin based on faith. So that was last week. That's just by way of review. Now today we're going to talk about Jesus' death. Jesus' death on the cross, the third study. Jesus did not come merely to be a great teacher or to do amazing miracles. His death on the cross in our place paid the death penalty for our sins that our sins deserved and opened the way for us to have a close relationship with God. Jesus' death and his resurrection are crucial to a basic understanding of the Christian faith. So you cannot understand Christianity if you don't understand Jesus' death on the cross. So the cross, that, that T-shaped thing, is a symbol of Christianity all over the world. So on Christian churches, buildings, you frequently see a cross. That's a symbol of Christianity. That's We're going to understand Jesus' death on the cross. All right. So let's begin uh, on page 10. Jesus predicted his own death. He predicted that he would die. Uh, would somebody be willing to read Mark 8.31 on page 10? So he predicted this. The word predicted means he said ahead of time, what was going to happen to him. He told his friends he was going to die. He was going to be condemned and die. He actually told them this many times. So what that means is Jesus was not surprised by death. He was not surprised by his arrest. He knew it was going to happen. Um, he actually came to die. He came to give his life for us. And so he was not surprised. He was not trapped. He wasn't tricked. He wasn't suddenly arrested by government forces and he didn't know it was going to happen. He knew it was going to happen. He predicted it and came to do it. Um, we see also in Mark 10, 45, the purpose of Jesus' death, why he came to die. Would somebody be willing to read this one? Mark 10, 45. <clears throat> For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom in the place of many. Okay, we're going to talk about that verse later on. It's a very, very important verse, but it's a, it's a purpose statement. You know, if, if somebody were to ask Jesus, why did you come? This would be one of his answers. He actually gives many answers to why he came, but this is a very important um, purpose statement. If you were to ask Jesus, why did you come from heaven to earth? He would say, and by the way, son of man was just the way he talked about himself. He's ta he talked about himself, son of man. Uh, that's himself. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life, to give his life in death, to give his life as a ransom for many. Very important statement. All right, let's turn to page 11. Now let's talk about the facts of Jesus' death. Um, the Gospel of Mark is history. It's, uh, it's a recording of the words and actions of Jesus' life. It's a, it's a true story. And so the, the Gospel of Mark presents the history of Jesus' death. And it begins with Jesus being condemned to death um, by his own people, by Jewish leaders. And he was condemned to death also by the Roman governor. So there was a, uh, uh, 
the Jewish authorities condemn him and the Roman authorities condemn him together. So they were both responsible for his condemnation. So let's talk about Jesus being condemned by the Jewish leaders. Would somebody be willing to read this? Mark 14, 61 through 64. So that's the, the, the final um, decision by the Jewish leaders, the religious leaders, that Jesus deserved to die, and they officially condemned him to death. Now, in those days, the Jewish leaders did not have the authority to put someone to death. The Romans, the Romans had that authority. They were the only ones that could put someone to death. But the Jewish leaders would have executed, would have killed Jesus if they could have. But they didn't have that authority. Now, the reason the Jewish leaders condemned him to death was something called blasphemy, uh, because Jesus spoke that he was the Son of God, that he was who he was, that he was God in a human body. And the word blasphemy means to speak words that are disrespectful to God, uh, to speak words about God that dishonor God, or like in Jesus' case, to claim to be God would be considered blasphemy if it's not true. So the Jewish leaders thought that Jesus was blaspheming, that he was speaking words that were very bad. Um, and so they condemned him to death. But like I said, they didn't have the authority to execute anyone. So they had to pass Jesus off, um, give him off to the Romans. And the Romans then uh, were in charge of his case. And so he was brought to Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, and after some... Uh, a trial and various things. Um, this was the official decision. Someone read this, Mark 15, 15. So that word delivered, it's an official decision. He uh, officially condemned Jesus to die. He didn't want to. He had no case against Jesus. He actually thought Jesus was innocent. But he wanted to please the Jewish people. He wanted to make them happy. So his reasons were not very good reasons, but that's what he did to keep the peace make everybody happy. And so he, but he officially, as the Roman governor, he officially delivered Jesus up uh, to be crucified. So the Jewish authorities condemned Jesus to death and the Roman authorities condemned Jesus to death. They together condemned him. Yeah, welcome. Great, so we're on page 11 in the blue sheets. So um, Jesus was condemned by the Jewish leaders and by the Romans to death then his death was to be by crucifixion. Crucifixion. Now, crucifixion is a very horrible way to die. In crucifixion, the person is nailed with their hands and their feet to a cross, their arms out like that, but there's no direct wound killing them. So they don't die quickly. It takes a long time to die. Very slow death and very horrible uh, torture. And the Romans did this... Uh, to thousands of people back then. Jesus was just one of them. Um, and so he was crucified. Uh, can someone read Mark 15, 22 to 27? So the important thing about that is um, Jesus was crucified. He was, um, there's a seat right here, Diane, if you'd like. You can sit next to me or right there if you want to pull up a chair there as well. Certainly welcome to come here. It's good to see you. We're on page 11 of my handout. All right, great. Um, so the important, the, the most important part of those readings is that Jesus died. That's the most important part. 
And it's, it's the center to Christian faith is that Jesus is human and Jesus is God, but here that Jesus died, and that's very difficult to understand how God, Jesus as God, could die physically. But he died as a human. He didn't die as God. He's still God. He continued to exist, just separated from his body. So he died. But his death is very important to the Christian faith. It's vital. We need to understand that. that he died on the cross. Um, also, the statement that he made, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, is going to be very un- important for us to understand the meaning of Jesus' death. All right, so after Jesus' death, um, he was buried. And uh, could someone read about the burial in Mark 15, 42 to 47, on page 11? All right, so the burial of Jesus is important also because, first of all, like I just said a moment ago, there's clear statements that he was dead. His body had no life in it. He was a corpse. And they wrapped him up and put him in a specific place. And the women... Very important, the women saw where he was laid. It wasn't like they didn't know where they took the body. They knew exactly. The reason this is going to be important is for next week's study, we're gonna talk about his resurrection. He came alive again. And the empty tomb is a big part of the proof of the resurrection. The fact that there was no body there anymore, that's gonna be very important. So that's why the the Bible uh, gives us these details about his burial. Um, and so his burial is, is important just as proof proof for his resurrection, that he came alive again. But um, we don't have anything more to say about the burial, but next week we'll have a chance to talk about his resurrection. But now, yeah, go ahead, please. Yeah. Um, Thank I'm you. Thinking about, and that's actually something I'm going through, going, uh, through right now, talking to somebody and sharing what happened and who Jesus was. And when we get at this point, how... How can God heal his own son? Mm. And um, because the next question, uh, going talking to this person, like it's so hard to, I, I, the person understand. I don't want to go to hell. Mm. That's the way the Lord, I think the Lord called this person. Yeah. But it's so hard to believe. Yeah. So mm. how would you encourage the person? Mm. Um, where would you go? Yeah. Like historical facts or... Well, I know we need to trust the Holy Spirit, but mm-hmm. how, what about? Well, I perceive as I look around the room that there are many parents in the room. How many of you parents would be willing to give a child like that? You know what I'm saying? This is a very, very hard thing to imagine. But the Bible doesn't minimize that. There is a Bible verse that says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also give him? give us all things. Clearly, that was a big thing for for God the Father to give His Son. But we need to understand, this world, this physical world is not all there is. There is a world beyond death, uh, the next world. And Jesus' death, though significant, was really temporary. Because on the third day, He was alive again. And the Father knew that would happen. So it is a very significant thing, but it was just temporary agony, pain, and and the wrath of God coming on him. But then it was done. And then when Jesus came alive again, very happy ending. (laughs) So that's the way I would say it. It's not a minor thing, but it has a very happy ending. So I think it's good that you asked that question. It is a very significant gift. 
As a matter of fact, I'll say this, it wasn't in my plan to say it, but it does say, while Jesus was on the cross, there was a very strange darkness over the whole land. Everything became dark like an eclipse. It was like it was night during the day. And at the moment that Jesus died, there was a terrible earthquake and the rocks, the ground shook and the rocks split. So if you had been there that day and you see this weird, strange darkness, like it's nighttime, and then at the moment that Jesus died, there's a terrible earthquake, what would you think God was thinking at that moment? Would you think that was a significant thing for God to be doing that? I would think so. I don't know how to interpret it, but I can at least say it wasn't easy or happy in that one sense to do that. So, the significant gift. The word spare means something very precious, something valuable. I could not spare that. It means that that was valuable to God. So thank you for asking. Any other questions about this? We're going to get to the meaning of Jesus' death in a moment, but any other questions? Good. And thank you for just asking that question. I think room this size, you're like, oh, I don't want to say anything. But if you have any questions, I would love for you to stop, stop me. All right, let's talk. Yeah, please, please. Yeah. So this Jesus condemned to death, it, his crime was blasphemy. Like, how did the Romans, how was that justified? It wasn't. Lawful. Yeah. There was no other charge against him. None. Pilate says in John's gospel three times, I find no fault in him. Well, that's the judge on a case. So a judge saying, I find no fault in him is also, he's not guilty. What should the judge have done? Let's say in, in our American courts, you have a gavel, which is your authority. You go, I not guilty, bang, the gavel comes down. What does that mean? It's done, he's innocent. Should Pilate have done that? Yes, did he? No. Why didn't he? Because he wanted to please the people. So what he did was very bad what Pilate did, but it happened. That's, so he was, the Romans had no case. As a matter of fact, in my sermon today, I'm gonna to talk about how Jesus' enemies tried to get the Romans to have a case against him by the question about taxes, paying taxes to Caesar. But Jesus eluded them <laughs> by his answer. We'll talk about that in the sermon today. But the Romans had no case against him. He didn't do anything wrong. So very good question. Let's talk about the af aftermath. At the moment that Jesus died, Mark 15, 38 says, the curtain in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The curtain in the temple, the Jewish temple, was torn in two from top to bottom. Now, the funny thing is, in the Gospel of Mark, it doesn't give any explanation. It doesn't tell us what that was. Why it happened. It just says it happened. So it's our job in this class to explain that. And we can't do it from Mark. We have to go to other places to explain what that meant. And we will, but it just, the Mark tells us it happened. And so we're gonna talk about the significance of that. We also, at the moment of Jesus' death, we have this amazing statement by the centurion. The centurion is a Roman soldier in charge of 100 men. He's an important soldier. Um, and he was in charge of killing Jesus. He was in charge of uh, four soldiers who were there, who were given the job to kill Jesus. Now, at the, at the moment that he died, can someone read Mark 15, 39 for us? So that's a very significant statement. He's a Roman, not a Jew, 
but he believed by watching how Jesus died and all these things that are happening, the darkness, the earthquake, how what Jesus said while he was on the cross, and probably he had heard some things about Jesus, about his miracles. He said, truly this man was the Son of God. So it's an amazing statement that he makes. All right, let's talk now about the achievements of Jesus' death. What did it accomplish? What was the purpose of it? Well, Jesus' death was the most powerfully effective moment in all human history, we Christians believe. It was a very important moment. Uh, It changed the eternal destinies of countless millions of people. So what does the Gospel of Mark say that Jesus' death achieved? So let's go back to that statement we read earlier. Uh, Someone read it again, Mark 10, 45. Very important statement. All right, so let's talk about the word ransom. I have written some things about ransom, but Ransom is an English word. Uh, It's not common, but it comes up in certain situations. What do you know about this word ransom? When do you hear this word ransom used? A hostage situation. Okay, very good. Anyone else? Hostage, like I would say the most common hostage situation we hear about is kidnapping. So what does that mean, kidnapping? You know, have you heard that term before, kidnapping? So what do you want when you take the person? You want money, and what's the money called? It's called the ransom. So the money that's paid, the money that's paid to get the person out of trouble is ransom. It's the same idea here. And only in in the culture back then, there would be different situations in which uh, an important person was held, and if money is given, then the person is released, set free, set free. So uh, in a battle situation, let's say you could imagine a commanding officer, a general might be captured in the middle of the battle, but not killed. And the enemy troops holding that would hold him for ransom. He's worth a lot of money. And so you can have your general back if you give us 5,000 gold pieces. (laughs) So the money to get the general out of trouble is called ransom. We also had, back then, slavery. So there would be slaves that would be held, and if money, ransom, was paid, the person could be set free. Sometimes the word used is redeemed in the Bible. Uh, By the payment of money, the person's set free from slavery. They're in trouble, they're in chains, and if money is paid, they're not slaves anymore. They're set free. Uh, the same thing would be of a king, let's say, uh, or a princess or prince. Some could be held by an enemy. And if money is given, then the person is set free. So that's the idea of uh, ransom. Now, I gave a little bit of a different translation than many other translations are, but it is accurate from the Greek, all right? Uh, the, even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom in the place of many. Now, you won't see that in the English translations, but it is in the Greek language, the original language. The Greek word anti means in the place or a substitute ransom. So he paid his life in the place of the lives of others. He gave his life as a substitute ransom in the place. So let me read what I wrote here. The word ransom is important. In ancient times, kings or important soldiers who had been captured in battle could be ransomed bought back with the price of gold or silver. In the same way, slaves could be bought out of slavery by the payment of a price. And those kidnapped by raiders could be ransomed by the payment of a price. 
This is a picture of what Jesus achieved by his death, buying us out of danger by the payment of a costly price, namely his death. But why were we in such danger? Well, we saw last time that our sins are deep and many. And the Bible makes it plain that sin deserves a death penalty. A death penalty. If you sin, you deserve to die. The wages of sin is death, as another verse says that. Essential to our salvation is the idea that our penalty, our death penalty, can be paid by a substitute, by someone else. And that's what the word ransom means here. Jesus literally said he came to give his life as a ransom in the place of many. It is a, a in the place is vital. It means it's a substitution of his life for the other. This clearly implies the death penalty. Our sin deserves the payment of a death penalty. Jesus's death on the cross paid that price, paid that penalty. Okay, any questions about that or comments? You will not understand Christianity if you don't understand that. Jesus' death doesn't make any sense apart from that. But if you understand that God deserves to be paid that death penalty, but the penalty can be paid by a substitute, you'll understand. Any, que any questions or comments? All right. Well, let's talk about access to God. Okay. The ultimate goal of Jesus' ministry, the ultimate goal of Jesus coming to earth, is that we would have a relationship with God, that we would have a love relationship with God. Remember the first commandment is that we should love God with all of our heart. And our sins got in the way of that, made a separation between us and God. When Jesus took that sin out of the way, he did it to bring us close to God so we could have a, a relationship with God. Now the curtain in the temple, torn in two from top to bottom, is an important picture of that, all right? So um, the, Jewish, the Jewish temple, I actually think I'm gonna use the whiteboard. Is that okay? All right, so I'm gonna draw a simple picture of the Jewish temple. All right, so you could imagine uh, like a rectangle like that, and then um, divide it into two, okay? This right here, we would call the holy place. Holy means pure, separate to God. This is where the priests would come every day and they would make sacrifices for the people, holy place. This is called the most holy place. Now in the Jewish, um, can you see? So I don't know if you can see that. In the Jewish uh, law, in the Jewish instruction, God lived in the most holy place. He dwelt there. Um, so there's a glory cloud, a cloud of light. And, and he presented himself as being there. No one was allowed to go in that place except one person, high priest, once a year. Um, once a year, he was allowed to go into the most holy place, but mostly no one could go in there. So you could imagine God is setting up himself as separate from people. You can't come close to me because I'm holy and you are sinful. You're dirty. You can't come close. I can't have you come close to me. I will kill you. 
if you come close to me. That's the picture the Jews had. And so it was a holy place, most holy place where God dwelt and they could not come. Now separating the two, right here, that's the curtain. That's the curtain that separated the two. It was a very thick curtain, very high, uh, and was a barrier, a wall. And God is saying by that, you cannot come near me. You cannot have a relationship with me. Now, at the moment that Jesus died, this curtain, it says, was torn. Making an opening. What is God saying by doing that? And it was torn from top to bottom. So the top would be maybe, I don't know, 25 feet up in the air, very high. No human could get up there. And from top to bottom means God did it. It was something God did. No human could do it. If we tore it, it would be from bottom to top. We'd rip it from the bottom and the tear would go up from the bottom to the top. No, this tear went from the top to the bottom at the moment that Jesus died. At the moment that Jesus died, God made this, this opening. And what is that significance? God is saying, you are now free to come close to me. You can have a relationship with me because my son died for you. That's what the curtain being torn top to bottom means. Now, this is not explained in the Gospel of Mark, but it is explained in the book of Hebrews and in other places. So I'm just telling you these lessons from other places in the Bible. Any questions about that? They definitely repaired it. <laughs> they sewed it up. They made a new curtain because they didn't believe in Jesus. I don't know how they explained it, but they shouldn't have done that. They should have just left it open. They should have removed the temple entirely. It's a different subject. But anyway, that's, that's what it means. And it's a beautiful thing. Beautiful. God, the God of the universe, is saying, I want you to come close to me. I want you to have a relationship with me. Which is what God was saying by sending Jesus anyway. Right? Jesus was in and around the people, touching them, talking to them, eating with them. That's a picture of God wanting a relationship with us. But the sin problem, that's, that's the problem, the sin issue. Really, the curtain is there because of our sins and God's holiness. Okay, So that's very, very important to understand that. I find it very interesting that Mark doesn't explain any of this. Doesn't explain it, but he knows the explanation will come another time. That's now, today. And other times, too, when people explain it. So, any questions about that? Now, I told you the important idea from Mark 10.45 is Jesus came to pay his life as a ransom in the place of or as a substitute for us. One of the illustrations that I read uh, once to understand Jesus' death is the, is the book illustration. I'll just explain it. You can read my writing. Hopefully, what I'm about to say will line up with what I wrote. <laughs> but um, I want you to picture this book here. This is actually a special book to me. This is the oldest book I own. Isn't it cool? 1846. Very old book. 
Well, I, I wanted to pick a, a book that was kind of cool looking and all that. Well, there it is. There's my old book. All right. Um, but let's say this book represents God's record of your sins, of all of your sins. Like he's a judge and there's a court trial. And on judgment day, God o- could open up the book and read all of the things you did, ever did wrong. All of them. All of your sins recorded. Now, if you look at page um, 13, just for a moment, um, could someone read Colossians 2, 13 and 14? The record of our debt, the record of the ways we've sinned. Let me ask you a question. Do you think God is a record keeper? Does God remember what we've done? Oh, he is. What's that? Yes. He knows it all. You can't fool him. He sees everything you ever did. And he remembers too. We forget. We forget the bad things we did 11 years ago. God doesn't forget. Ever. And so the book represents God's memory of all of our sins. All right? So think of it that way. And think of like the ceiling as representing God looking down on this record of our sins. Now, my right hand represents Jesus. And there's no book over there. What does that represent? The fact that they're, they're, this hand is empty. No sin. Jesus never committed any sin. The Bible teaches this again and again. He perfectly obeyed the two commandments. He loved God every moment of his life. And he loved other people perfectly. No sin ever. From infancy to his death, he never sinned. Now, him being a ransom in our place means that our sins were transferred over to Jesus. And then God punished him for our sins. He punished so that when he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's because of our sins being put on Jesus. And they think about it. It's not just your sin and your sin and my sin, but it's everybody's sin that ever lived that ever would believe in him. So in one sense, Jesus became the most sinful person ever. The record of all of our books was put on Jesus. Now, what do you notice about the left hand now? It's empty. What does that signify? We are seen by God as sinless. No sin. No sin at all because of this. And that's why we can come into his presence. Because we have no sin left. We are pure in God's sight. How does that happen? By faith, by believing in Jesus. Just by believing in Jesus, he will pay all of our sins. Can someone read on page uh, 13, 2 Corinthians 5.21? All right, so that sums up what I just said. God made him, Jesus, to be sin for us. All of our sins on Jesus. So that we might become the righteousness of God are perfectly righteous. That's the empty left hand. Does that make sense? So, any questions about that? It's very important to understand that. You have to ask questions because it's only 10 o'clock and we got another 15 minutes. <laughs> How does one have faith? How does one have faith? 
Well, since we've been sitting here, I've been talking, right? I've been speaking words. Faith rises inside the heart and mind connected with the words. And it says, I think that what this person is saying is true. I think it's true. That's what faith is. That, that as you hear the word of God, you hear these words, you something inside says, I think it's true. I believe it's true. You don't have anything except words, just words. But you think they're true. So I think that's what happens is that as you hear the word of God, something comes inside you that says, I, I really think that's true. That's what I think. That's how faith comes. Anyone else have any answer to that? How does faith come? What is faith? We just know it to be true. I mean, much like before we sit in that chair, we just have faith that's going to hold us in that collapse. Yeah. Do you remember last week we talked about the four friends that brought the one friend that was paralyzed? Right? And they brought this paralyzed man to Jesus. And because there was a huge crowd, they couldn't get the paralyzed man to Jesus. So they went up on the roof and dug through the roof. And they worked very hard to dig through the roof so that they could lower Jesus down by ropes. Now I want to ask you a question, because it says when Jesus saw their faith, he said, your sins are forgiven. There was a confidence in the friends, a feeling in the friends concerning the healing. What did the friends believe about Jesus and their paralyzed friend as they're digging? As they were digging, what did they believe? Were they convinced of this? Did they, did they really believe that he could heal them? Yes. I think absolutely, because they worked really hard. The whole time you're working, are you doing it for maybe a 10% chance that he'll heal, be healed? No, they were completely, totally convinced that Jesus could heal their friend. That's why they worked so hard. What was the basis of that confidence? Uh-huh. Where did that come from? They heard lots of stories, lots of stories about other people that had been healed. And they talked to those friends, and they believe they were, they were true. They heard the reports. That's where faith comes from. You hear the reports, and you say, you know, I think that's true. I think it's true. When Jesus says, the um, sins are forgiven, was he talking only with the paralyzed man, or was he talking with the friends? Well, the Bible verse says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, um, Matthew says, take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. So he focused on that one person. But the, he, he talked about the faith of the friends. So I think it's bigger than that, but his words were directed toward the paralyzed man. Yeah. Can you comment on how somebody, two, two people can hear the same words, yeah. same story, mm -hmm. same group, and yet one has faith and the other has a hearty heart? Or... Yeah. Jesus was condemned to die by his own people. Many of those people saw Jesus' miracles, saw him do those things, and they didn't believe. They didn't believe. As a matter of fact, most people that hear these stories don't believe. They don't. 
They just listen and they don't believe. Nothing changes. But some people do. That's the way it always is. It's been that way for 20 centuries now. The stories go out and the people are divided into two categories. Believers and not believers. Okay. Can I tell you another story that's not in our handouts, not in the Gospel of Mark? Is that okay? All right. Um, it has to do with the Jewish nation. And when the Jewish people were rescued from being slaves in Egypt, they were being moved, two million of them, to a new land. And they had to cross the desert. And as they crossed the desert, there was no water to drink and there was no food to eat. So God provided water, uh, miraculously, and he provided food. And the food was manna that came down like rain every day from heaven. And they picked up the bread off the ground and ate it. But the people sinned, and they didn't enter the promised land, and they had to wander in the desert for 40 years. And in that time, they got tired of eating manna every day. Manna, that's all they had to eat. They got sick of it, and they complained. So God sent poisonous desert snakes, and these desert snakes bit a lot of these Jewish people with poison, and many people died. So they came to Moses, the leader, and they said, would you please pray to God for us and tell him we're sorry for complaining about the manna and ask him to take the snakes away. So Moses did, and he prayed. And God said, I'm not going to take the snakes away, but I will help the people. I want you to make a metal snake, bronze snake, and I want you to put it up on a pole really high and put it where everyone in the camp can see it. And then tell the people that if they are bitten by a snake, all they need to do is look at the bronze serpent. Just look. And I will see them look. And I will heal them. It's very smart for God to do that. He's dividing the people who get bitten into two categories. Believers and not believers. If you get bit by a snake and you don't believe that story about the bronze snake, you will not look. You'll think that's stupid. Why should I look? And what will happen to you? You will die. But if you are bit by the snake and you do believe the story about the bronze serpent, what will you do? You will go out and look. And what will God do? He said he would do it. What will God do? He'll heal you. Jesus said, in one of, I think, the most famous verse in the Bible, in the same way God loved the world, the whole world, not just the Jews, the whole world, and sent his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So we have to hear the message, just like the Jews did back then, hearing about the bronze serpent. That was the key. If the message didn't get out, the bronze serpent's not going to do anyone any good. So there is a report, a message that gets spread through the camp. Two million people. Everybody hears the story. Right? There's another key to this whole thing many people haven't thought about. It has to do with the nature of the snake poison. God has to design the snake poison to be deadly, but not instantly deadly. If the poison were instantly deadly, within one second, 
the bronze serpent wouldn't do anyone any good. You would not have time to look. There'd be no point. God would just be tormenting the people. So the key is this snake venom has to be a f deadly, but take a little time. Now here's a question. How long do you have after you get bitten? Hours? Do you think hours? Days? Would you, would you wait days? You say, I, I think I'm going to put off looking at the bronze serpent. I'm going to get around to it at some point. After you're bitten, what do you think your top priority should be? Go, go look at the bronze serpent. I would do that next if I were you. The gospel's like that. You don't know how long you have, do you? Do you know how long you're going to be alive? And we've already said from last week, if you do not believe in Jesus, you'll have to pay for your own sins. And the payment is eternity in hell. We talked about that last week, where the worm does not die and the fire is never quenched. Mark 9. That's the penalty. So you have a little time. Now you'd say, well, what if I'm not bit by the serpent? You are. <laughs> because of your sins. The sins is the analogy. You're going to die. You've been bit. It's too late. Now you have some time. So look at the last thing here. This is the call. Someone read Mark 1, 14 and 15. Okay, so the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand, meaning it's here now. Do you see the time sense of that? There's an urgency here. The time has come. And then there's two commands. Repent and believe. Now we saw last time, repent is to turn away from your sin. To say, I hate sin. I don't want to do it anymore. I, it's evil. I, I don't want to sin anymore. That's repent. You turn like a U-turn driving. And believe, it's like the bronze serpent, right? There's a confidence in the heart. It's not a good work. You're not doing religious works. You're just believing that the bronze serpent, if you look at it, will be healed. So you don't know how long you have. The time is at hand. The kingdom of God is near. Now's the time. You need to repent and believe in Jesus. That's what Mark, Mark's gospel is saying. So let's look at our summary. Today we have seen that Jesus' death was in some ways the central purpose for his coming to the earth. All right, Jesus predicted his death, so it was not some unfortunate accident. He intended to die. He came on purpose to die. The purpose of Jesus in his death was to give his life as a ransom in the place for many. The historical facts of Jesus' death are accurately recorded in the Gospel of Mark. The achievements of Jesus' death are infinite, sins forgiven for everyone who repents and believes in him, all over the world, across 20 centuries of history. It's incredible. The ransom has been paid in full. We are rescued from the danger of hell if we believe. The curtain in the temple being torn open right there shows that God welcomes sinners now because the transfer of, of guilt over to Jesus and the payment has been made and we are not guilty. We are free from our sins. Okay. So for next week, if you would finish reading the Gospel of Mark, Mark 12 through 16, note any passages that you don't understand and we could maybe talk about them. And uh, any final questions or comments? Yeah. Can you talk about the difference between spiritual sin and physical sin? Mm. Our sins have been paid. 
by Christ when we believe and we repent, but we still struggle with sin. Like after when you become a Christian? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. And that's a different part of the Christian life. What we've been talking about here is how sins are forgiven. But from the moment that our sins are forgiven, then we're supposed to live a better life, a good life, a life of love. And, and we do, but not perfectly. And those sins are forgiven too. So that's the key is the forgiveness of sins. But there's also a change that happens in us and we start living a different kind of life. That's a very good question. And that's why Christians come to church. That's why we listen to the Bible so that we can live a good life. Any other questions, comments? Yeah. So uh, Jesus died um, as we interpret this kind of sacrifice because mm -hmm. he um, helped humans to be uh, saved from sin. So how would this sacrifice be interpreted by Christians later? Like, for example, like two Christians, if she's a Christian and I sin, can she do something to help me from the sinful situation? No, there's just one sacrifice for all time. One sacrifice, one moment in time, Jesus only. God, God doesn't accept any other sacrifices, just Jesus, because all of our sacrifices are imperfect. But in the Old Testament, the Jews were always doing sacrifices, animals. It was always animals, because God told them to do it. But that's done now. It's finished. When the curtain was torn, God was saying also, no more animals. He was done with animals. The whole thing was finished. Very good question. All right, we're finished, so we're going to church to church service now. Thank you for listening to this resource from twojourneys.org. Feel free to use and share this content to spread the knowledge of God and build his kingdom. Only we ask that you do so for non-commercial purposes and in accordance with the copyright policy found at twojourneys.org. Two Journeys exists to help Christians make progress in the two journeys of the Christian life, the internal journey of sanctification and the external journey of gospel advancement. We do this by exporting biblical teaching for the good of Christ's church and for the glory of God.